0: There is a danger that I have observed in Christianity is that I think in the church today, the spirit of the Judaizer is alive and well within the Lord's church today. Not that we are trying to bind ourselves as the Jews did in the first century church, but we have that spirit of the Judaizer in the church today that keeps binding us back to the law of Moses showing us, and perhaps Satan trying to help to do this, to bring us under the guilt of the law, that we don't function properly in the freedom that Jesus Christ has given us. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we need to learn that we are free, and if Jesus Christ has said, if the Son has made you free, then you are free indeed.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: Today we're going to see a message that I titled, Freed to Bear Fruit. In Romans 7, 1 through 12, we're going to discover... The three points in the message, verses 1 through 3, the law has dominion. Verses 4 through 6, delivered from the law. And verses 7 through 12, the purpose of the law. And In verse 5, he speaks about bearing fruit unto death, saying, for when you were in the flesh, and the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit unto death. So I ask the question, as I was looking at this, how are the sinful passions aroused by the law? That was a question that I put forth as I was preparing this study. My answer is because with the law comes the knowledge of sin. Nevertheless, where there is no law, there is no knowledge of sin, even though sin still exists. We learn this in Romans chapter 5 verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. The law lets us know God's standard. It is not that the law unlocks this sinful passion, rather that the law reveals the sinful passion that we have in our lives. This Word for sin, it's hermatia in the Greek. It means to miss the mark. So just get a vision of, we could do it after church if we had time today, but we don't. But up in the garage, there are a couple of bullseyes. I have my bow and arrow and my compound bow up there. And, and we could uh, do some target practice. We could see how good we are in archery. Who could hit the bullseye? Not me. Almost every time. I'm excited if I ever do hit the bullseye. I hit the mark. So hermatia in the Greek, it means to miss the mark. And and that is kind of the basic meaning of that word. And so when you apply it to sin, it means that you miss the bullseye. And quite often we miss the bullseye. Almost every time. But we find that the result of our sin is fruit unto death. He's looking back in verse 5 When we were in the flesh, our sinful passions being aroused by the law, being exposed by the law, they were at work in our lives and our members bearing fruit to death. So the result of that is death. As we learned in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we're to serve then in newness of the spirit. So we're not under the law. We're free from the law but it doesn't mean that the law is not important. In no way do I want you to go away thinking, well, I don't even have to pay attention. I think the Ten Commandments is a great standard by which we should conduct ourselves. But we are not bound by that as the Jewish people were prior to Christ. In verse 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Here's the struggle that the church had early on. They had a group within the church that came to Jesus Christ that they were called Judaizers because they tried to convince the Gentiles, in order for you to be truly saved, you need to not only believe in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, but you need to be circumcised for the guys, and you need to keep the Mosaic law. All of Acts chapter 15 and the uh, Jerusalem council is all about that issue. Paul and Barnabas uh, came back to Antioch and they discovered that the Judaizers showed up teaching the Gentiles, saying that you need to add to your salvation circumcision and the Mosaic law. And Paul and Barnabas, they got in a, a huge fight. And so the church in Antioch decided that, well, let's go send you guys back to Jerusalem and let's deal with this and find out what the mother church says the answer should be. And so read Acts 15. You discover that they, at bottom line, James stood up and said, we don't want to add any undue stress to the Gentiles who are coming to faith, but we would ask that you would take these four concessions. And not a keeping of the law, but they would restrain from things that are strangled, from things that are blood, from sexual immorality, and I have a brain freeze. I can't remember the fourth. It's not in my notes. You can look that up in Acts 15. But Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree." We have died to the law that we might serve in newness of life because of the work of Jesus Christ. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's paid the price that we ourselves would have to pay, but we could not pay because of our sin. Jesus has done what we could not do for ourselves, but he's done it with a purpose, not only to redeem us, not only to save us, but that we should live in newness of life. In the United States, there is a legal term called double jeopardy. Game show, Yes, yeah, I'm not talking about that. There is a legal term, double jeopardy, where it tells us the constitutional protection against double jeopardy being charged twice for the same criminal act presents prosecutors from repeatedly bringing charges against a defendant in hopes of eventually getting a verdict of guilty. While double jeopardy is a common law dating back to ancient Greece, it is guaranteed in the U.S. Fifth Amendment today. And so here's the idea in law today that if you are tried for a crime and you have been declared not guilty, they can't repeatedly try you for that crime, trying to eventually get a guilty plea. And the reason I bring this up is because I think in the church today, we might be guilty of self-trying ourselves repeatedly, saying, I know I'm guilty, so Lord, let's talk about this one again. You know, you're both the prosecutor and the defendant, and you're, you're the one trying to bring these charges back up to the Lord, but the Lord has set you free, and we need to keep that in mind. There is a danger that I have observed in Christianity is that I think in the church today, the spirit of the Judaizer is alive and well within the Lord's church today. Not that we are trying to bind ourselves as the Jews did in the first century church of teaching the Gentiles that they need to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law. But we have that spirit of the Judaizer in the church today that keeps binding us back to the law of Moses showing us, and perhaps Satan trying to help to do this, to bring us under the guilt of the law that we don't function properly in the freedom that Jesus Christ has given us. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we need to learn that we are free, and if Jesus Christ has said, as in John 8, 36, if the Son has made you free, then you are free indeed. Even though we may sin, And we can ask forgiveness for those sins. It's not that we are asking the Lord to save us again, but just to wash us again, that we might be able to walk in the newness of life, in the spirit that God has set us to, not under the letter of the law, but in the newness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has delivered us from the consequences of the law. He's done it once and for all, that we might bear fruit unto God. In verses 7 through 12, we find the purpose of the law. In verse 7, he teaches us, What then shall we say? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Since the law produces death, he asks the question, Is the law sin? And then again, it's a rhetorical question. He's saying, of course not. But the law has a twofold purpose, maybe more than two, but two basic things. First, it reveals God's standard to the Jewish people, I believe, to all humanity. In Romans 3.20, it tells us, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law reveals God's standard to all humanity. Secondly, the law points us to Jesus. In Galatians 3, 24 and 25, it says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after faith comes, we no longer are under a tutor. The law is no longer necessary, but the law was there to point us to Jesus Christ. The law is, God had given it to us to show us that we cannot in our flesh live according to the law. We fail. For Paul, I don't know if covetousness was it, but he does name the 10th commandment specifically here in this passage. The 10th commandment found in Exodus twenty seventeen, It reads, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. That is the one thing that Paul presented here. Maybe this was his greatest struggle. Maybe he was just pulled out commandment number 10 because it was commandment number 10. I don't know whether Paul personally dealt with this. This is the one that nailed him. But he said, by the law is the knowledge of sin And the knowledge is God's standard for humanity. So the law produces death, verses 8 and 9. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manners of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The sin within Paul. He says, produce all manner of evil desire. It wasn't the commandment that produced this. Without the law, Paul had no knowledge of sin. That's just how it is. Without the law, Paul had no knowledge. There was some point in Paul's life that he tried to do his best as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He described himself in this manner. He tried to live according to God's law and he discovered that he could not do it. I think that's why he's so ferociously attacked the church early on, killing believers because he was so frustrated in his own walk and relationship with God. And he was probably looking at the testimony of believers thinking, it can't be that easy. Faith in Jesus Christ can set me free. But the law itself, he says, when I didn't know the law, I was free from the law. So I've mentioned this from the pulpit a few times, and I've heard people repeat it Maybe you've heard it outside of this pulpit as well. But I've mentioned that they say on an average day, every American commits at least three felonies every day. Because there are so many laws out there, we're all lawbreakers. But we don't know that we're lawbreakers because we don't know the laws that we are breaking. So I looked it up. It came from a book that was written back in 2012, And from the book, the author would say, every day the average American commits three felonies. So argues civil liberties lawyer Harvey Silverglate. In his book, Three Felonies a Day, the title of which refers to the number of crimes he estimates that Americans perpetrate each day because of vague and overly burdensome laws. Three felonies a day is a figure of speech hardly an exact count, people who are very active in certain fields likely commit more than three arguable federal felonies a day. People who are less active in life and in commerce probably commit fewer. I would imagine that, he says, lawyers, accountants, security dealers commit more while, anybody a fruit stand vendor? That's his example. While fruit stand vendors commit fewer. My point was that an active member of our society goes about his or her busy workday without realizing the potential for committing arguable federal felonies in a wide variety of business and personal endeavors, typically on a day. It's a great example, I believe, of what Paul is describing here. Prior to the law, prior to the knowledge of the Ten Commandments, we might say, Paul was going about life and he didn't know that he was a lawbreaker, even though he was a lawbreaker. Here in the United States, we go about our life, and we are, whether we're committing three felonies or four felonies or one felony a day, we're breaking the law, even though we may not know we're lawbreakers. At other times, we could totally know. Have you ever sat at a stoplight watching a lawbreaker talking on their telephone? Don't they know that you can't handhold a phone It's a lawbreaker, or maybe we're guilty of it because sometimes, you know, someone calls and my truck is supposed to have a speakerphone on it, and it doesn't always work, and it makes me fiddle with my phone to get it to work. As soon as I pick up my phone, I'm a lawbreaker, or texting, don't they know? How are you driving with no hands on the steering wheel while you're texting, Your knees are not adequate. I know they're not. We become knowing lawbreakers, but often unknowing lawbreakers. Paul had felt free from God's law at one point until God's law revealed that he himself was a lawbreaker, even if covetousness was his only sin. James tells us in James 2, verses 10 and 11, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And we discover as we're closing out here in the last three verses. First of all, the law is holy. Verses 10 and 11, the commandment, which is to bring life, I found, brought death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, it killed me. Paul states in Romans 10:5, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. And living by God's law became Paul's chief ambition at some point in his life. He believed that through the keeping of the Mosaic law, he could gain life. And yet the more Paul, prior to Christ, attempted to live by the law, he discovered that he was a failure and he could not do it. So Paul talking about his life prior to Christ in Philippians 3 verses 4 through 11, he says, If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, that simply means that in Paul's day and age, he actually could speak the Hebrew language. Is the thought behind the Hebrew of the Hebrews because by that time many of the Jewish people had lost the Jewish language so a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church concerning righteousness which is in the law blameless but what things were gained to me these I have count as lost for Christ yet indeed I also count all things lost For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, I counted them as rubbish. That's a nice way of saying dung. Rubbish is what the Greek word means, dung. And you know what that is. He says, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I found in him... Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him by the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Everything that Paul had once held of greatest value in his life through Judaism, Concerning the, he listed out seven examples there in that passage. The confidence that he might have in the flesh, that he might boast. He says, now I count them all as lost." They were all part of what Paul, uh, his physical and spiritual makeup, they kind of made the man Paul. And yet he no longer held them as a great value because of knowing Christ Jesus. Christ then became the great object and passion of his life. He laid all those other things down for knowing Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, verse 12, the law is holy. The commandment is holy. It is just. It is good. And although the first covenant is good, man's inability to keep the law made it ineffectual. God intended that though our inability to keep the law would point us to Jesus. God never intended, even in under Jewish covenant, God made a way through the sacrificial system that they could be set free because God knew that they were all lawbreakers. And God made the Day of Atonement a day in which Everything would be set free, but annually that would have to be repeated every year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. What Jesus has done is that he has once and for all paid the price of our sin, never more having to go in. It's by the blood of the new covenant, Jesus said in Matthew 26:28, For by this, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remissions of sin, The new covenant comes through Jesus Christ. He paid the price. He is the mediator between God and all humanity, who by the sacrifice of his own blood, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been set free. It's through the work of Jesus upon the cross that we have been cleansed from our past deeds that we might serve the living God. And the purpose of the law is to point us to Jesus' sin. Today I stand upon the truth of the word of God, I believe, that I stand upon the work of Christ Jesus that he has already done there at the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. He's paid the price of my sin, my past, present, and even future sins. He's done the work. So I stand in his righteousness, not in my own. I strive for righteousness, but I know I might fail. When I fail, I ask the Lord to wash me, to cleanse me, to purify me. But I do not ask the Lord to save me again. Because the Lord has already set me free. If I would ask the Lord to save me again, the Lord might respond and say, John, I've already done it. Just rest in that. The Lord has set you free. If you have found Jesus as your Savior, if not, then you are not free. Then one day you will stand before the Lord and then you will be judged according to God's law and you will be declared a lawbreaker and you will receive the punishment as a lawbreaker. But as believers in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus has already received and bore the punishments that were meant for us, and we have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin, and we need to rest in that truth and stand upon that in the day and age that we live in. Father, I thank you for your word and for what it teaches us, and I know, Lord, Romans chapter 7, it's a tough one for us, but Lord, if you could teach us anything, Remind us today of the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Not freedom to go against your word, but freedom, Lord, to live by the Spirit of God. Freedom, Lord, to live in the fruitfulness that you desire in us. And Lord, though I know that we are guilty, today, Lord, we give you praise and thanksgiving, knowing that you have paid the price of our sin upon the cross, and that through faith in Jesus Christ, We have been set free, and the example of that has been seen through the communion today, through your broken body, through your blood that was shed. Lord, we have been set free. Help us, Lord, to send us forth from this place today, Lord, that we might walk in newness of life. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.